Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. So you might have heard the old joke about the, um, uh, the South Texas boy who was visiting a prestigious college in the Northeast. As a prospective student, he was trying to take in as much information as he could and wanting to visit all the buildings. He comes up to this professor and he says, excuse me, sir, where's the library at? At which point the teacher looked down his nose at the boy and said, young man, at this university, we do not end our sentences in prepositions. And the boy paused and said, all right, sorry about that, sir. Where's the library at? smarty pants. <clears throat> There's a whole different version of that, but I can't tell it from the pulpit. So I'm opening with that little line because I want you to forgive me for ending the forthcoming question with a preposition, but there's really no better way to ask it. And here's the question. Who this evening, today, are you mad at? Now, that may not apply to some of you, or maybe even most of you, but if it applies to one or two, think about it for a moment. My guess is a name or two comes immediately to mind, an old friend, an old flame, your parents, a child, a teacher, your boss, your wife, your husband, maybe the person you came to church with this evening. I remember one night, this is many years ago, here at St. Martin's. I'm going to make sure that they're not here. I don't think they're here. And I saw a husband and wife get out of the car, and he sat over there, and she sat over there. So, and if not a who, maybe a what. The Federal Reserve is pretty high on my list right now. Traffic, your taxes, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Who or what are you mad at? Anger is a teethy, gritty emotion. It has an almost tangible quality to it. Usually when someone gets angry or is mad, we say they have lost control. I confess I'm no stranger to anger. I've been known to pop off from time to time. Sometimes Sometimes it's because I'm tired or I have too many things to do on my list or I'm distracted. Sometimes I'm just hungry. And at our house, we call that hangry. But I can't always blame it on those kinds of things. The reality is I have witnessed a lot of evil and injustice in the world. And, and at times, my anger, I feel like it's been just. But, but most of the time, frankly, it's the result of things not going my way and that's the easiest kind of anger to nurture. It grows out of some sense that I am right and the other is wrong. And until the wrong is made right the way I want it to be made right, the anger is okay. The late Presbyterian pastor and wonderful author, Frederick Beatner, who I commend to anyone if you want a good person to read. But he offers a rather stark warning to us about the power of anger of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue, the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last 
toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back, in many ways is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is what you are woofing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Sometimes the solution to getting anger out of the way, whether it's just or not, you know, is a, is a big deep breath or a long walk or trying to see things through the other's eyes. But sometimes, sometimes the solution comes when we make a conscious decision to relinquish, to lose, if you will, control, though in a completely different way than when we lose control of our temper. So I want to look at our lesson from Genesis that G-Day read for us just a moment ago to unpack that. And we've looked at Joseph some this summer, but I'm going to back up a little bit to get a scope of what's going on in this lesson. Most of us know the name Joseph when it comes to our Bible stories. Short version, Joseph was the favorite son among sons, and when his brothers got a chance, they did away with him by selling him into slavery out of their envy. Fast forward, and Joseph has risen to power in Egypt under Pharaoh, and that's where the story picks up today. So years later, his um, brothers unknowingly come into his presence, and when he comes face to face with them, what does he do to those treacherous siblings? He could have immediately had them imprisoned or punished or tortured or killed, but the very first verse of our lesson says, he, notice, he could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. No longer control himself. What did he do? Did he lash out in anger? No, in that moment, he chose to lose control again by letting loose of his anger. As bystanders, as readers of this story, which is what you and I are, we would understand if Joseph would have been angry or inflicted some harsh punishment, but he astonishes, perhaps even disappoints, by offering the unlovable, unsympathetic, ne'er-do-well brothers a gift that requires letting go of control. He offers them forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation. Who are you mad at today? If Joseph's story were a reality TV show, it, it would bomb in the ratings. There's no screaming, no yelling, no plate throwing, no payback, no profanity. Joseph, somewhere along the way, has chosen to let go of something. He actually had the power to control his anger, but he loses control. You know, some people, when they deal with others, try to rule by fear or coercion. But others, when they, when they run out of their own resources, choose to let go and let God work through them. And this was clearly the case for Joseph. In that moment, he had every right to say, take that. And most of us probably would have applauded. No one would blame him for at least reviewing the hurts that his brothers had inflicted upon him, reminding them of the pain and suffering they had caused him. But what happens instead? Simply, mercy. Mercy lived, mercy spoken, 
mercy shared, undeserved, unearned, perhaps even underappreciated. The story doesn't tell us how all of the brothers reacted. Nonetheless, mercy is given. Now, the story of Joseph is less a how-to manage anger and more of an example of the life-giving results of mercy. Our lesson says that he could not control himself. And what it means is because he had chosen to give his heart to God, his heart was no longer his own. So his actions were no longer his own either. He could not control what he absolutely now had to do, which was to reach out in love. And he doesn't just show mercy, but he goes on to bless the lives of his brothers in every way he knows how to bless them. He invites them to move to Goshen. And though they betrayed him and sold him into slavery, Joseph will not return the favor. But he chooses, he chooses to take care of them by providing them food and shelter and security in a time of great famine. How on earth does someone do that? in the face of this kind of betrayal. Now, a little caveat here. Um, By giving up your anger, by giving up any desire to enact retribution, I am not saying that you enable or empower or subject yourself to ongoing abuse or aggression, harassment, or so on. So I think it's important to make that kind of distinction. It's one thing to forgive. It's another thing to guard yourself and your life from those kinds of behaviors. But a major point here is, who are you mad at? Can you forgive them? Can you show mercy? Can you act as, as Joseph acted? You know, as long as you choose to stay angry, really, whomever offended or hurt you continues to have the power to inflict the pain, which only means usually that the anger just grows, eating away more and more at the person that God wants you to be. So in the end, as Frederick Beekner has suggested, all that's left is this kind of skeleton of a person. Almost 35 years ago now, I learned a really valuable lesson about the power of this kind of forgiveness and mercy. I was shopping in the men's section of Yielding's department store at Brookwood Mall in Birmingham, Alabama. The mall is still there. The store closed many years ago. But the lesson I learned from Ruth Siegler, whom I met in that store, that lesson, well, it was timeless. Ruth was a saleswoman, and for whatever reason, she and I hit it off. And if memory serves, she was trying to uh, help me try on some shoes. And as she did that, I noticed the tattoo of a number on her wrist. And for whatever reason, we were both transparent. And in that moment, I asked her, "Is, is that what I think it is? She actually smiled and said, yes, you were in a concentration camp? Yes, as a child, my sister and I both were. That conversation continued over several weeks as I learned more and more about Ruth and her sister, Elsie. Ruth was only six when Hitler came to power in 1933, but by 1944, she and her sister and both of her parents were sent to Auschwitz 
a work camp, but also an extermination camp. And upon checking in, and after being forced to strip naked, they were separated from their mother and they never saw her again. Their father survived a while longer, but later died in the camp. The story was frankly much more horrendous as I came to hear it over the years, but but they survived, the two sisters survived, and in the end, after the camps were liberated, they were rescued by a Russian soldier. Here's the thing, though. The entire time Ruth would tell me these kinds of stories, there was no bitterness, there was no anger, there was no hatred in her voice. Her story was so powerful, I asked her to come speak to a group at a church where I was serving at the time. And the group was mesmerized, not just by what she said, but how she said it. And I think we were all thinking the same thing. So when she finished up, she said, do you have any questions? And I immediately said, Ruth, you seem so calm, so at peace. How can you tell this story and not be so full of anger? And she thought for a moment, and then she smiled again. And in a whisper said, if I did not choose to forgive, some part of me would still be back in that camp today. And I chose to be set free. Better is it not to choose to forgive, to show mercy. How? By letting go, letting go of yourself, letting go of the past, letting go and giving yourself to God and Christ. You see, only one walking with God can do what Joseph did. It's beyond our human nature. It's beyond our power, beyond our control to respond to betrayal with forgiveness, to injury with mercy, to hatred with love. But here's the thing, you know, the Christian fruits of mercy and forgiveness and love, those things are not optional. They're not characteristics we can pick and choose off the shelf only when we want to exercise them. They are qualities that flow from us more and more when we yield more and more, not to our control, but to God's control. Only with God's help can we forgive as Joseph did. Who are you mad at today? Perhaps... Only with God's help can you forgive them. Only by losing control. Are you ready to let go of that anger? Ready to let go of everything? Let me close with one more true story. Uh, I, for those of you who come to the Wednesday night series here during Lent, I used this story some years ago during Lent. So if it sounds a little bit familiar, you'll know why, but... Some of you might have read the story as well. Many of you know the name of the Dutch author, Corrie Ten Boom. She, like my friend Ruth, was a Holocaust survivor. And the price she and her family paid for saving over 800 Jews by hiding them at different times in their home, the price they paid was arrest and imprisonment in the Ravensbrück concentration camp. While Corrie survived, unlike my friend Ruth, her sister Betsy did not survive the camp. 
After her liberation, Corey became one of the most well-known Christian teachers and evangelists of the last century. That said, even Corey had moments where letting go of the past was virtually impossible. And just a few years after the war in 1947, she was giving a talk at a church in Munich. And at the heart of this particular message was her own experience of how God had forgiven her sins and how she believes Christians were called to forgive others. Now I'm going to just read to you from her journal, okay? As people were filing out, I saw him, a heavyset man balding with his hat in his hand. He was working his way through the crowd toward me, and I saw the man in his coat one minute, and then I saw a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones the next. I remembered him. I remembered the huge room and the harsh lights and the pile of women's clothing in the center of the floor and my terribly thin sister having to walk naked past this horrible guard. He approached and spoke. He did not remember me, but I remembered him. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk and, and I was a guard there, he said. Since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, he said, as his hand came out, will you forgive me? I averted my eyes. I put my hand in my purse. I fumbled as if I were looking for something. I stood there for what felt like hours I thought of my sister's death. I thought of the atrocities I saw in that place committed by men like him. And then I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do in my life. I who had spoken of forgiving others was now being asked to forgive this man. But I knew what Jesus said. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I thought, well, at least I can reach out my hand. But as my arm lifted, almost like wood, I had to pray, Jesus, give me the power to forgive this man. And as he gave me that power, as I raised my hand out to that man, he grabbed it, and when he did, the most amazing thing happened. The forgiveness and love of God flooded through me like an electric jolt, and I was able to speak those words, I forgive you, brother. Never had I known God's love as intensely as I did in that moment. What did Corey do? She turned over the control she thought she had. She turned over what any of us would agree would have been justifiable anger, even the opportunity for vengeance. What she did was lose control, not of her temper, but of her life. 
She handed her life in that moment over to the power of God and his Holy Spirit. And when she did, in that moment, she spoke words only God through her could speak. She did something only God himself could do. She forgave the unforgivable. And in that moment of losing control, experienced God's love more intensely than she ever had. Who are you mad at today? You may not have within you the power to forgive. Neither did Joseph. In fact, our lesson says he could not even control himself. My friend Ruth could only do it when she dug deeply into the core of her own Jewish faith and made a decision to leave that camp and that imprisonment forever. Corey could not control herself, but once she prayed, she had no choice. By losing themselves, Joseph and Ruth and Corey, in God's power, they did what only God can do in his. So do these stories speak to you this afternoon? Do you do you need to lose control, step free from a prison of anger? or bitterness, do you need to forgive? Who are you mad at today? Maybe today you could utter Corey's prayer. Jesus, give me the power to forgive. Maybe today is the time to really experience God's love. Maybe today it's time to lose control. And maybe, just maybe, losing control is not so bad after all. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.